Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Kyle Werner, and I'm very excited to talk nutrition with one of the most respected professionals around, E.C. Sinkowski. The CDC estimates that over 40% of adults and 20% of children in America are obese. The vitamin and supplement industry made over $30 billion in the United States alone in both 2018 and 2019. If you jump on Instagram or any social networking platform for that matters, it seems that every other person is an expert with the secret sauce to weight loss, bulking, and living to 150. Some advice is based in marketing products for affiliate income. Some of it is baseless, and some of it is extreme in its nature and or time commitment and its impact on you living your life. It's no wonder that people don't know where to start or are constantly jumping in and out of fad diets, of which an estimated 90% plus fail. I'm very excited to have EC as a guest today because her approach is simple effective, flexible, and takes your goals into consideration. We're going to ask her to take us through recommendations for folks that might fall into one of three different circumstances. The first one is for beginners that aren't really sure where to start. They may feel overwhelmed by all of the internet content out there. They may know that something in their nutrition needs to change, but they might not be sure where, where to begin. The second would be for active people looking to hit specific performance or aesthetics goals. And then the third, we're gonna look at how the approach of professional athletes might differ from those in the first two circumstances. And then we also have listener questions for EC as well. So please sit back, relax and enjoy, and don't forget to hit the subscribe and like buttons if you haven't already. Thanks guys. Welcome to the GDL podcast, episode number nine. I'm here today with EC Sinkowski. EC, how are you doing? Good, how are you doing? Very good. Excited that you're here to, to talk some nutrition and health. Um, our audience from the CrossFit community probably is familiar with your background, but for those who are not, how did you get started in, in the fitness and nutrition world? Yeah, I was always, always active growing up. So kind of always part of my life, um, you know, played sports, all that stuff. Um, but I found CrossFit and I walked into my first CrossFit gym, CrossFit Boston, January 2nd, 2006. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of CrossFit for me, went to a level one seminar that year and started getting involved with their seminar staff. So I think that's kind of the beginning of when I was really, you know, making the connection between nutrition, fitness and health. Okay, great, great. And then you pursued advanced degrees in nutrition after your time uh, with the CrossFit uh, staff, correct? Yeah, I was always, um, so I have an undergrad in like biochem engineering, essentially, and then a first master's that was more involved with uh, plant genetics, but a lot in the biological sciences. And then I worked for CrossFit for a period of time. Um, and I was always interested in nutrition and sort of did some subject matter expert stuff for them in terms of nutrition. And it probably was, let's see, 2016 um, is when I decided to get a master's specifically in nutrition. So then finished that up the next year and then started my current company, Optimize Me Nutrition, in 2018. Okay, great, great. Well, before we jump into any more like specific topics, in, in broad terms, why, in, in your own words, why is it important for non-athletes as well as athletes alike to care about nutrition, put some thought and focus into it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the big things that we can control that positively affects our life. It doesn't have to be getting the next pull-up or the next PR on the deadlift. It could just be quality of life, 
being around for a long period of time to spend time with your family and your your grandchildren or whoever, or just enjoying the capacity to, you know, still travel in your 70s, 80s, 90s, or whatever it is. So I think there's just a lot of quality of life benefit. And life has so many unknowns. Nutrition certainly can't guarantee any of them, but we can hedge our risks a little bit by by focusing on nutrition to a certain amount. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no doubt. Well, um, what we talked about doing was was looking at folks that might be in three different circumstances, one being a beginner who just wants to live a healthier life, mm-hmm. two, maybe that person's already active, uh, but they want to pursue additional goals around performance or aesthetics, and then three, maybe a high-level look at how a pro athlete's approach might be a little different than the, the other two circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for people that would fall into into that first bucket, um, you know, what, what would be your approach? You know, maybe they, they have no base knowledge of nutrition. They just understand that they have to make some changes, um, for the future. Where would you start with them? I pretty much start everybody with the 800 gram challenge, um, to eat 800 grams by weight of fruits and vegetables each day. And then you continue to eat whatever else you want. Right. So there's no restrictions or eliminations. And then you pick the fruits and veggies you want to. So if you don't like kale, don't have to have kale, 800 grams. And then that's really where I start everyone. Um, you know, I, I like your buckets, but I also think that every bucket there that you've mentioned can benefit from something like this. And I don't like to say that everybody's going to only use the same tools in nutrition, but I think this one has universal application for both athletes as well as kind of the intro person for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think it's great, especially for the bucket that you mentioned the beginner, because we're not restricting, we're not eliminating. Yes, I say that you should have 800 grams. We can also estimate it. We're focusing on foods that almost everyone can agree on that are healthy. (laughs) Um, You know, we can't get the carnivore people on board, but we can get almost everybody because you can make it low carb, you can make it paleo, you know, do what you want with it. So that's really where I start people. Um, You know, I, I have a hard time understanding what people are eating if they're not doing that. You know, especially in the beginning, I could get it if you're coming from a standard American diet, we might have to scale it a little bit, start maybe at, you know, 300 grams and work our way up slowly for sure. But it's just such a low caloric volume and such an essential part of the diet. It's, it's hard for me to understand where, where else we would start, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. So um, it, it sounds like what you're saying is this can be the foundation regardless of what level you are, whether you're a I pro athlete so. or a beginner. Yeah. And I've had people that are, you know, in the CrossFit community and have been CrossFitting for some time and they even find their performance improves from it. I mean, one of the most common things I hear about it is, oh, wow, I have so much more energy or my aches and pains don't have as much aches and pains with them anymore, right? So better recovery. Um, And so I think that's something that people forget a lot about with high-end performance is that those micronutrients have value for them too. It's not all just protein and carbs. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, and and for a beginner that may not have a scale, is there an easy way to estimate what 800 Mm -hmm. grams looks like? Yeah, uh, one adult closed fist is about a cup. And so it's about six cups a day ends up being about 800 grams. Now, not those leafy salad greens, those are a little bit too light. So when people are estimating, I like to tell them six fists a day, and then as many (laughs) leafy greens as you want. (laughs) Um, And that's a great way to do it. And that's essentially how I do it when I'm on the road, because I don't I don't bring my scale everywhere. Okay, and there's a study for for why it's 800 grams specifically, right? Yeah. Can you dive into that a little bit? 
Yeah, it was in the International Journal of Epidemiology in 2017, and they looked at fruit and vegetable consumption relative to health outcomes. So these people are eating how many fruits and veggies and what happens to them in terms of um, cardiovascular disease, stroke, cancer, and then of course, death, the one that we really care about, right? Mm -hmm. And what they found was that the risk for all, all of those went down when people were eating 800 grams. In fact, well, cancer risk went down at 600, but the other ones went down at 800. And um, I immediately was sort of like, I was playing with some different ideas at the time, but I immediately was like, wow, that's a, that's a really interesting way. What if that became the diet target? And then you just sort of let everything else shake out around that. And so I played with it for about six months to really think about rules and structure. And what does this look like in terms of calories? And is this feasible? And all of the things that come along when you put a diet out there in terms of real life application, and just found it was a really great way to like, keep yourself honest, you know, it's not, it was mm -hmm. nothing too obsessive, but it was also like at the end of, you know, four or five months of doing it, I was like, okay, yeah, this definitely helps with consistency for sure. I do want to point out the study was certainly what made me, you know, think the idea, of course, pick the number and all of that stuff. But the volume that's suggested there does corroborate with, let's say, USDA guidelines or let's say other articles that talk about eight to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables, stuff that you've probably heard over the years. I think why this idea is a little bit different than some of those is that word servings a little nebulous, like how do we measure it? It changed depending on what fruit and vegetable you're talking about. And then I also just added some rules that I think help with um, real life, shall we say, like, you know, mm -hmm. you pick the ones yep. <laughs> you want, and it doesn't matter exactly if every day is this perfect alignment of local organic kale or whatever it is. So there's definitely some tweaks there that that make it not so specific to that study. Um, but that was definitely kind of the tipping point for the for the idea. Yeah, I, I love the sustainable aspect of, of that diet, right? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with with Tim Ferriss, but he mm -hmm. talks about goal setting and yeah. maybe instead of doing all these crazy workouts, your goal should just be showing up to the gym once a week. And totally. if you're consistently hitting that, you're more apt to do more. Right. So I, I, I love uh, the lines that this, this approach takes. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people, mm -hmm. when, when they think about a diet, right. It, sometimes it's so strict that when they, cheat, right? There, there's this guilt that sets in. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's your approach to quote unquote cheat meals or how do you view that so it doesn't completely derail you or a client that you're, you're working with? Yeah. I mean, some of that's reflected in the mentality of the 800 gram challenge. And then even kind of the next step from there is when I add protein, I still try not to, or I don't tell people to eliminate anything. And I think I think there's something about not saying anything is off the table that actually helps people's adherence and less of that kind of binge psychology or like I'm having this blowout meal. Like if, if you're allowed to have it whenever, mm -hmm. <laughs> it just, I think that takes the temptation away a little bit. So some of it's just sort of implicit in those guidelines. Um, something else that I'm big on, of course, is consistency. But I, I think the people that are really successful with consistency kind of what you were just saying about Tim Ferriss and showing up at the gym, they know that those bad days are going to happen. Mm -hmm. They know that like that's part of the plan. You you can't use those, oh shoot, I just went to a you know a big wedding and you know party and mm -hmm. had all of the wine and all of the cake and say now that's the end of my diet. No, the people that really make it through these things are like, 
yes, I'm going to go to some wedding and have some wine and cake. And yes, the next day I will get back on the wagon. Right. So I I think that's part of it too, is kind of setting the expectation that we're human. We, Mm -hmm. I have days ahead of me at at which I'm going to have too many cookies, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) But knowing that like, yeah. And so then you just start back on it the next day. Right. Right. So it doesn't impact your, your day to day as much as that super strict diet makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, um, one of the questions that that I've gotten is organic versus non-organic. And mm-hmm. when, you know, when people are beginning this journey into bettering their nutrition, I think that's one of the hangups that kind of stresses them out. You know, mm-hmm. am I making positive steps forward if I'm eating non-organic fruit or vegetables? What, what's mm-hmm. your take on that piece? I would say don't let it be a hang up at all. Um, you know, we have a couple different issues when we're talking about organic. There's the issue of whether or not we have pesticide exposure, right? Mm-hmm. And then we also have the issue of whether or not the crop itself is more healthy. And I think there's this um, bias that the micronutrient density of an organic crop is inherently better. Like organically grown spinach is going to have way more calcium than conventionally grown. Well, that that's not the case. And that's because crops and what's in them in the actual leaves that you're eating is going to come down to the soil quality and the growing season and how much sun it got and how much rain it got and all of these other how long it took for the item to be shipped to you you know when was mm-hmm. it harvested what was the delay time or transit time so there's a lot that goes into that and so on like a nutrient level no organic is not across the board necessarily better in terms of what you're getting so then it's like okay well what about the pesticide exposure and i certainly wouldn't encourage people to be exposed to pesticides but we can wash them off. Um, also, our detoxification system works better when we have fruits and vegetables in the diet, largely because of that fiber component. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's like, think about all the other foods in your diet that might not be organic, whether or not that's grain products or when you're out at restaurants or something like that. And so we have to just kind of take a bigger step back and be like, even non-organic fruits and vegetables are going to have a positive influence for a variety of reasons um, that I wouldn't want that to be a hang up at all, at all. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we move on to to the next circumstance, do you have any other advice for for people that are just beginning this journey? I liked what we covered so far. I mean, of course, I have to talk about that 800 gram challenge, which I did, but then I I like the question about kind of that imperfection and what happens, you know, when you have the the bad day and it's like, yeah, you just start again. (laughs) Welcome to being a human. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a new dad, you know, it was, it was, there was a fine line between, you know, perfect when it came to diet and, and good enough for the time mm-hmm. being. And it, it used to stress me out a little bit, not being perfect until I took a step back and looked at the big picture. So no, I, I think that's an important lesson. And yeah, people get kind of down these rabbit holes and it's like, there is some point at which worrying about your protein intake is going to be outperformed by you sleeping more. You know, there is yeah. some point <laughs> at which like worrying about whether or not you're getting the right diversity of fruits and veggies is going to be outperformed um, by decreasing life stress. And, and so this is where we, when we get so myopic with our nutrition choices, um, we have to get to that good enough and then bring up all of the other things that affect health in our life to that good enough level before we start becoming like this total zealot on nutrition. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to the folks that maybe they're already active. They go to the gym three or five days a week, and now they have some additional goals. They want to bulk up, trim down. They have a competition coming up. They want to increase max lifts, what have you. Um, how does your approach start to change with, with those folks? Yeah. Um, definitely add the protein component. 
which is the 800 gram challenge. First, they're going to have that as a baseline. Now we're going to add a protein target, same sort of idea in the sense of let's have kind of a level that's kind of a minimum baseline to hit, which might need to tweak based on their goals. But again, we're not trying to exclude anything in the diet. So they might still have, you know, whatever it is, the ice cream, et cetera. But the protein is a key component, especially for our athletic population. Um, okay. For all of the goals you mentioned, of course, for performance, new deadlift PR, more pull-ups, all of that stuff, you need to build that muscle mass. And then also from body composition point of view, right? We can see some body composition shifts just by redistributing those macronutrients. Um, and so that's really what I would do with that population is make sure that we're getting adequate protein. And, and generally, I set that at 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. Um, certainly people that are at the high end of, um, weightlifting, done a ton of weightlifting, all of that stuff, they, they could be going higher. And then if people have significant amount of weight to lose, they could just use a target weight and, instead of their current weight. Um, but I find that level is, is really good. I find that it's doable, but you certainly have to change your choices to get there. Like you can't mm -hmm. do it with all bacon, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not so high that you have to use protein powders. Like I'll have days that I don't use protein powders to achieve that, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I really have settled on that number because to me, it's a nice balance of what's sustainable, mm -hmm. um, but also then falls in line with some research about increasing muscle mass with resistance training and so on. Okay, perfect. Well, what about um, carbohydrates? I know mm -hmm. when you were on Chasing Excellence, um, one of the things that you brought up that's really cool about the 800 gram challenge is it can be low carb or high carb. Mm -hmm depending on what your goals are. So what, what's your approach when it comes to, to carbs? Yeah. Um, if the individual is doing some type of intensity training, um, mm -hmm. they definitely need to have some carbs in the diet mm -hmm. more so than I think many people in the CrossFit community want. I think there's this, uh, you know, I have to do CrossFit on broccoli and spinach movement, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it's <laughs> tough to do. <laughs> it's tough to do. It's not necessary. And it's in some ways you could be shooting yourself in the foot in terms of actual maximal energy production for these high intensity efforts. Um, so I don't like to give specific numbers. It's going to be so variable based on how active somebody is. But like the 800 gram challenge, um, if you do mixed fruits and veggies without trying to be super low carb or without trying to be super high carb, it's going to come in around 90 to 100 grams of carbohydrates. And I would say that that's lower than what would be most people who are active in, in a CrossFit type population are eating. I, I typically think about 150 grams of carbs for kind of your everyday CrossFitter is, is going to be kind of in the ballpark. Now, once we get to a games athlete level, it's going to be way over that. Yeah. <laughs> way over that. Well, well, I think I skipped over some of the rules for the 800 gram challenge. Do, mm. do we count things like sweet potatoes and some of those mm -hmm. denser vegetables? You sure can. Yep. Okay. All of that stuff, potatoes, beans, corn, um, olives, avocado. Yeah. All, all of that stuff. Just no grains, you know, rice is, is not a fruit or vegetable and uh, no nuts count towards it. So but okay. yeah, it's, it's a pretty good amount of variety. And if you're cooking meals um, where you're adding vegetables in, obviously mm -hmm. they'll soak up some juices or oils. Mm -hmm. Do you just weigh them before you, you put them into the, mm -hmm. the stock pot? I try to have people do it that way. There's no sense to okay. make this like a math problem. Um, you know, for <laughs> recipes, weigh them all together, what's going in the thing, any of the qualifying grams, and then just divide it based on approximate servings. You know, you get four servings out of the soup or whatever it is, divide your total grams by four. And is each bowl going to be perfectly portioned? 
we're not worried about it. <laughs> yeah. Remember, we're shooting for good enough. And, and that's exactly what that 800 gram number is. It's it's good enough. Like, does it really matter if you're at 790 or 850? No, it's a volume that mm-hmm. pushes out um, too much of the other process stuff. Not that something magical exactly happens at 800. <laughs> yep, yep. No, I agree. Um, do you have any favorite resources when it comes to cookbooks or recipes mm. um, that you know, involve chefs that incorporate a lot more fruits and vegetables than others? Yeah, you're probably asking the wrong person on that. I'm not known for my culinary. <laughs> People who watch my Instagram are like, this woman, oh my God, help her. Um, yeah, I don't, unfortunately. There's so many resources. Although, actually, I should take that back. I My friends, they run the site Real Food Dietitians. Um, okay. She's out of Boulder. Um, and she, well, there's two women who run it, but one of them goes to CrossFit Roots. I used to be there with her. And, and they have some great recipes that I can handle. I can do them in the kitchen. And they've got lo- <laughs> loads of fruits and veggies. So um, check them out. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other one I wanted to mention was uh, Nick Massey. He has oh, a YouTube right. channel, yeah. Ice Age Meals. Um yeah. A few years ago, I man, I would pick a recipe every weekend and meal prep with that. And yep. I really like how many fruits and vegetables he's able to incorporate. Um, no, he's yeah, he's great. He's uh, he has some good recipes. I love that butternut squash lasagna. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I just made yeah. the butternut squash chili the other night. So oh, that's a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not too difficult. It just takes forever to to cut up everything. Exactly. Okay. Well. Um, Thinking about the, these active folks with, with these additional goals, are there any supplements that, that you'd recommend um, as, as at a base level? We talked about protein a little bit, but is there any other vitamins or anything like that? I don't recommend any supplements, really. Um, okay. Once we get into the performance category, I might, I might change that answer a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I don't recommend supplements. I think... I think uh, people need to be focusing more on their diet. They can achieve um, what they need from their diet. And then if they have some specific needs for whatever reason, they can be working with a qualified healthcare practitioner. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Anything else for that group? I don't think so. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's just take a high level look at professional athletes going from that second group to, Hey, you do this for a living and performance is, or your physique is everything. What are some of the other things that you're going to have those folks start paying attention to? I do think that that group is going to have to do macros at at some point. They might not stick to it forever, but macros weigh and measure every single thing that they eat and then optimize that, Um, especially kind of play with protein. Should I go up a little bit? play with carb to fat ratio, you know, where do I perform best? They're going to have to play with as well, kind of pre-event food timing, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or if they're doing a multi-day competition, what does fueling look like for that? You have to dry run all of that stuff. Um, so that's, that's that. Now, I don't think that those athletes need to necessarily do macros every day forever. I mean, once they kind of get in their routine, um, with all their training volume and just sort of stick with it, that's good. But I, I think, I think that's going to benefit them as well. I should mention that I have a lot of people that I would put in the second category that you mentioned, and we go through macros together as well, because I think it's an incredibly uh, value valuable process. You just learn so much about your diet Then even the weekend warriors or whatever you want to call them, recreational CrossFitters, um, you know, until you kind of dig into your diet, you can keep trying all these little things, but instead we need to take this like comprehensive audit of the thing and see what's really going on. And so I think there's huge value there for everyone. I just think, um, for example, in my master class, we kind of do it over a two to four week period. And I think for a lot of people, that's 
uh, I don't want to say totally enough, but it's pretty close to enough where an athlete might have to spend a little bit more time really making sure, okay, this is where I perform the best. Okay. Uh, does that stand for like body fat percentage too? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. If you want to achieve a real elite percentage of body fat, I mean, this is why bodybuilders weigh and measure their steamed chicken breast and broccoli, right? Like you're not yeah. going to get there by just guesswork. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm a, so I follow CrossFit linchpin. So I'm a big Pat oh, Sherwood Pat, fan. Yeah. Um, and on one of his AMAs, he brought up the fact that your, your body fat where you're going to perform the best is probably just a, a tick higher than where you would look the best. Right. I thought that was a really interesting point. Yeah. I mean, it can be for sure. Um, definitely. Okay. Well, uh, that's all I had for pro athletes. Is there anything else you wanted to hit on for that group before we jump into questions from the audience? I I guess that's where I would sort of talk a little bit more about supplements. Um, I do, I don't want to say recommend, but say that they're worth a shot, caffeine and creatine for performance. Um, and those, that's where I would be in that, put in that camp. Yeah. Caffeine is a pre-workout and then creatine to use for, uh, you know, muscle, muscle additions, (laughs) but, um, sometimes people's mileage varies on that as well. So it it has some consistent evidence or enough to say that it's worth a shot, but not that everyone's going to have a positive benefit from it. Okay. Perfect. Well, uh, and then I guess, sorry to cut you off one more thing. When you, when it's a professional athlete level, um, I'm not against supplements per se in the sense of people can't try them. I've, I've certainly tried, you know, (laughs) I've certainly tried supplements in my day. (laughs) Believe me, I've tried a lot. There's just a difference between me making a broad recommendation to everyone because Mm -hmm. there's evidence for it versus somebody wanting to try something. And, and for that top end athlete, maybe there isn't a ton of scientific literature for it, Mm -hmm. but if they get a placebo effect, which can very well happen from supplements and that gives them the slightest performance edge. It's worth it. Now, whether or not the physiology is ac- actually working, you know, what they say on the bottle, who cares? Like they can still see an effect from that. And so for those athletes, I'm like, yeah, try all the things that are legal, you know, try them all. If you feel like one's really helping you out, even if it's a placebo effect, like run with it, you know, but I, I, that doesn't mean that I'm going to recommend them to just everybody walking around trying to improve their diet. Right. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, um, we, we do have some questions from the audience. Uh, okay. I, f- I feel like we could take maybe one or two minutes per, per question. I'll try. What it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. Um, but the first one, there, there's a lot of interest in the keto diet. Mm. Um, what's your take on, on the keto diet? What are the risks and rewards? Yeah. Um, I guess if I had somebody asking that question, my first, um, my first question back to them would be, why do you want to do it? And I'm going to go ahead and assume for weight loss, because that mm-hmm. tends to be the the goal that most people have. And I'd, I'd then ask them, do you think that's the only way to do it? Um, and, and if they do, then we have a problem because there's lots of ways to lose weight that don't ha- does, does not have to be as restrictive. I would argue better from a nutrient diversity point of view, better from a gut health point of view because of more fiber and also more sustainable. Um, Oh, and performance-wise, especially if you're doing something like CrossFit. So to me, I don't see what the the magic is about it. I think it's, um, sure, it can work, but I, I can get you to that same end goal with, I think, better uh, kind of pro-negative pro <laughs> ratio, <laughs> yeah, positive-negative <laughs> ratio of like, you know, the toss-up or the trade-offs. Right, right. It's 
I mean, the, the risk of somebody just eating meat and cheese and to your point, you know, strips of bacon all the time, that that's a lot different than eating more avocados to increase your fat, your fat intake. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is too, we have to get away from these, like, I'm going to do something for a month and then it's done. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. That's not, that's not how it works because this is another point that I like, not just about the imperfection thing or the sustainability thing, but if you lose that weight, you have to stay committed to that level of calories forever. It's not like once you lose the weight, then you can go back to your old ways. Your old ways will take you back to your old weight. So I I think sometimes we look at the keto diet and it's like, great, I'll lose all this weight in two months and then I'm done. And it's like, no, now you have to stay at whatever that caloric or restrictive diet was. And and so I'd rather people pick diets that they can see themselves doing in a year from now, not, not what they can do for the next six weeks. Makes sense that back to that sustainability piece. Yep. Okay. Uh, The second question was, uh, I'm a hard gainer looking to put on size to help increase power in Olympic lifts. What should I focus on in nutrition? Um, and then they asked about supplements, but we already covered that piece. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to have to make sure that they are at a caloric, um, positive that they have more calories than they need. And to be honest, hard gainers, you know, people don't like to give them credit, but their process to gain weight is as painstaking as somebody trying to lose weight. It's mm-hmm. just the process in reverse. And I think a lot of times with hard gainers, they, they might not track every day, Um, but they have to track every day as well, because if they kind of dip down one day, they've sort of eaten into their caloric, um, net gain. And so that's not going to work. So they have to maintain a positive caloric balance. They're going to be higher on that protein scale, closer to a one gram per pound of body weight. Um, I don't really recommend supplements, um, still for that group, although they'll probably will have to use some protein powders for sure to get there. (laughs) Um, I think though, the point that I want to hammer though, too, is, you know, they got to train like a madman, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't really love short-term mass gain programs because some of the mass gain or a lot of the mass gain is going to be stimulated by your training and just by the time at which you've been doing that training. And, and the body just doesn't change that much in six weeks, especially mm-hmm. the further you are along your training path, right? If you're just a newbie, sure. But if you've been doing this for a while, like you're not going to see these massive gains in six weeks. So you can't forget what 10 years of lifting is going to do in terms of your mass gain. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. Next question is I've heard a lot about gut health and the importance of living food in your diet, such as kombucha, milk, kefir, uh, sauerkraut, kimchi. Are these important to incorporate? I don't think necessarily important in the sense of more so than a varied uh, mixed fruit and vegetable diet. I think they're good, but I don't think they're, that you can't be healthy without them. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that's what I, I don't really love about some of those products is that it, when we see the marketing, we're convinced that, okay, I don't have kefir in my diet and therefore I will not have good gut health. And it's like, well, no, I mean, you can have just a lots of good microbiota from all the different fibers and phytochemicals that you have in your fruits and veggies. So include them if you like them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but also focus on that mixed whole food diet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this next one should be fun. Um, it's about bread and pasta. So Perfect. they seem to be vilified in many health circles. Is that for good reason? Um, what are the important things to look at when I'm choosing to eat bread or pasta, et cetera? I think the big problem, I'll just say grains um, okay. for bread and pasta. But um, I think the big problem with grains is the fact that we're eating too much of them, right? When, mm-hmm. when you go to a, a chain restaurant and you order 
whatever Alfredo, um, it, it, you know, it's this monster dish of over a thousand calories. Or when we go and we have the basket of bread, we eat the basket of bread, we don't have the slice of bread, right? I think grains can be part of a healthy diet. So, you know, portion sizes, um, it, it needs to be what would be appropriate for you. I can't just give a number for everyone, but people can have pasta and be part of a healthy diet. People can have bread. It's just that people like those things more than fruits and veggies. So then our diet becomes like the bread and pasta diet. We have too many calories because they're so fun to eat and they taste delicious. And we put all the butter sauce on them or whatever it is, and we don't have the fruits and veggies. Right, right. I think the other thing to watch out for too, is you'll see products that are quote, you know, made with grains or made with whole grains. Mm-hmm. Um, taking whole wheat and then putting it, you know, slapping sugar on it. it we don't have whole grains anymore. We, <laughs> we have a product, right? So you know, think about having something closer to what looks like a grain and what are you putting on it and how are you mixing it and how much you're eating it. And and, and I think that's going to help guide the person of to like how much of this I should have, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was interesting a few years ago, I eliminated all bread from my diet and because it just didn't make me feel great. Sure. Um, but we went, my wife and I went to this place in Chicago called the Publican and they're famous for using live yeast and leavening oh, their cool. bread the proper way. And yeah, man, we ate that and I had no issues whatsoever. So, oh, cool. I mean, it seems like process matters in, in that case. It can. I mean, it certainly okay. can. I sometimes think when people go gluten-free and they feel better, I, I, I often think it's for multiple reasons that aren't just gluten. I I have a feeling it's because they're now eating some more fruits and veggies that they've Mm -hmm. lowered their caloric load, that perhaps they've lost weight. So, you know, they've decreased their inflammatory status overall. So that's, what's hard about just saying, Oh, it's the grains. Like, no, there's a lot of things that might've changed your diet when you pulled that out. Um, and, and that's why we have to do research on these things so that we can actually say, oh, it's the gluten or, oh, it's the additives. And it's not that in every single case, it turns out to be either of those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not against people trying that for sure. You know, if you want to try no grains or whatever, but I'm going to tell you that the research time and time again shows people's health improving when they have whole grains in their diet. But why do I think that is? It's because they're eating less, you know, sugary cereal and donuts yeah. <laughs> when you have like, you know, brown rice or whatever. So, okay. No, that makes sense. And I, I think this next question is along the same lines where people tend to be scared of, of fat in their diet, right? They want to mm. eliminate all the fat in their diet. Um, what role should fat play in a healthy diet? Yeah, it definitely should be part of it. Um, I, I think the idea that fat around 30% of calories is a good, uh, good-ish marker. Okay. Um, I think what people underestimate is how much fat is in foods. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where like doing macros can be really useful. And it's the same every group that I take all through my master class. Every time we get to macros, I had no idea how much all of these snacks add up. So when you're having the mm-hmm. crackers or the bites, the chocolate, you know, somebody else, you know, they eat super, super clean stuff, only the organic dark chocolate. She has like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how much fat this was. Yes, it's a lot of fat. So I think that's what people don't totally realize that whether or not it's from a good source or from our processed sources that are so ubiquitous in our diet, that that typically people have way too much fat in their diet. That doesn't mean fat's inherently bad. It just means that we have too much relative to what we need. Okay. So they're overshooting that 30% number a lot. Yeah. Or maybe it's 30% of their total calories, but their total calories are too high for what their body needs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this is where things like, yes, we need to reduce our fat is good. Um, this is actually an interesting dichotomy. I think in the CrossFit community is, is sometimes we have 
we have parts of the CrossFit community that are these super lean, super high active people. And they're hearing things like, oh, reduce the fat, oh, reduce the carbs. And, and you're like, well, you, not for you, <laughs> you know, like we can see your six pack, like you're eating all whole foods. Like, no, we're not talking to you. Right. Um, and so that's where these general messages that are true kind of for the average standard American diet aren't going to always be true for our lean active CrossFitters who are already eating at the appropriate caloric load. Right. Right. Not that all of them are, but you get the idea. Yeah. Individual approach. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Um, the, the next question uh, goes back to quality. So with winter coming, less fresh foods and foods in season, are frozen fruits and veggies acceptable? Are they the, the best choice uh, going into winter here? Yeah, I think frozen's great. Uh, I think frozen's gotten a bad rap. Um, Typically, they are frozen pretty close to when they're picked, which means that the actual the micronutrient density is going to be relatively high compared to let's say if they were cut fresh in California and then shipped to you, you know, and then stay in your fridge and all of that stuff. So they actually ha they can have a good amount of micronutrient density. It still depends on the sun and the rain and all this stuff during their growing season. Um, but I think they've gotten a bad rep, which isn't necessary at all. So yeah, that can be a great way to keep things varied in winter. Okay. Uh, this next one might be a little controversial, but fun. Um, alcohol. Um, yeah. Is there anything wrong with having a, a few glasses of wine with dinner, a few beers at the ball game, what have you? So I, I'll give the recommendation that is the recommendation <laughs> from every organization. And that is that if you do drink, although it's not encouraged to start drinking, if you do drink, it should be in moderation, right? So that's mm -hmm. one drink for women. That's one drink for women and two drinks for men. Um, and that, and a drink is considered, you know, one 12 ounce beer or, um, five ounces of wine. So, mm -hmm. so that's where I think we have some problems is that oftentimes, and I've done this myself is that one glass of wine can turn into two, right? Like it's not, it doesn't it's really end up easy. Being, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so that's, I think where we have to be a little bit honest about this. Um, mm -hmm. I did some posts recently about the blue zones, which are kind of these cultures that live very long, like close to a hundred or higher. And a lot of those cultures, you know, in Sardinia and, and uh, gosh, where else um, in Italy, they have, they tend to have alcohol as part of their culture. And that's not necessarily definitive that alcohol is fine, but it's like, yeah, alcohol in moderation with a balanced, you know, healthy diet and living active and all of these things seem to be just fine. The problem is I, that doesn't play out quite the same in our society, right? It tends to be mm -hmm. a little bit more in excess. And then we also have to think about what happens when we're on that second drink in terms of our food consumption, right? Our, our, yeah. Typically, we, we loosen the reins a little bit on what we're eating at that second glass of wine plus. So um, that, that ends up being a, a big part of the problem with alcohol consumption. Okay. So, so keep it moderate. One glass for women, <laughs> two glasses for men. That's what it should be if you decide to drink. Okay. Makes sense. Fair enough. Um, switching gears a little bit. Is there a kid's version of the 800 gram challenge? So if you have little kids or nieces or nephews, um, is, is there just a, a different amount that you'd recommend for them? Yeah. Um, I really wouldn't recommend any sort of standard at all for kids in elementary school. Um, I think okay. you can do plenty of things of like, make a chart and we're going to just chart how many fruits and veggies you eat today, or, you know, which ones do you like? I, I don't think there should be any set numbers at all. 
Once you get to middle school and high school, the caloric load those kids are having would allow for an 800 gram challenge. But I still don't, especially still middle school, I I just don't love a lot of points around food. Now, Mm -hmm. parents can be the judge. Um, There's been lots of parents that have done it. Um, They might do either a 600 gram challenge or they might just do, hey, you're going to have five different fruits and veggies today. I think the key though for parents, well, there's two things. One, like set the goal appropriate for your child, right? If your child is eating no fruits and vegetables, we're not going to start in tomorrow with 800 grams. Like we're going to watch what they eat (laughs) and then we're going to set a goal that's close to that, maybe a little bit of a stretch, right? Right. Um, But we're going to be really kind of like honest about what's appropriate for them. And then the other thing is you got to keep it flexible in -hmm. the sense of, yeah, if they don't hit it one day, it's not like they get penalized, right? I mean, I think that's one of the great things about CrossFit kids is how you get kids involved with fitness is you keep it fun and, yep. and definitely having like, you know, penalties around food is, is not something that we want to do at all. And that's why I don't love a lot of the points of the scoring for kids. I just think that like assigning that with food, granted the 800 gram challenge is additive. It's positive. They get to pick all of that stuff. It's not even looking at calories or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I get it. I, I just, don't know that we need to do it. Why can't we get to those same end goals by doing something like, I don't know, you know, you get to pick your dessert or whatever your favorite dessert on Friday. If you hit this many fruits and veggies, something that's a little less structured, right. And competitive. Mm -hmm. Okay. So should the approach be more around variety and actually just making sure that there's veggies and fruits in the diet? Yeah. And I think it's more, and I guess what I was saying with that, because then it sounded like I gave like a competitive structure, but it's, it's more of like, let's see how we do Mm -hmm. you know, and encourage the behavior versus like, this is the number to hit. Sure. Um, And yeah. And it's like, oh, great. Maybe, I don't know, the parents do something fun. Like every Friday we do a new fruit or vegetable, right. And you pick it out at the supermarket or like when we go shopping, you pick something that we're going to make dinner with, you know, there's lots of different ways to kind of do the 800 gram challenge idea without making it this like, well, you're going to get two points for this. (laughs) One (laughs) point for this. And Yeah. Okay. Uh, last question that I got was around intermittent fasting, right? So Mm -hmm. timing of your food. Um, it sounds like through our discussion that what you're eating matters more than the timing. Um, but what's your take on the value of intermittent fasting? Yeah. I mean, uh, people can lose weight with it, which is typically what they want. Um, it's really working because it's reducing the quantity of food that you're eating, not that something magical happens during that time. The reason why I don't love it is for what you just mentioned. It's like, I can tell you what times to eat. And if that's all I tell you, I have no clue what you're eating. You could be doing an intermittent fasting with relatively poor quality choices. And you can even eat more than you need within your fasting window. Like maybe you're so hungry by the time you get to break the fast, you end up eating too many calories still. So to me, it's a way to control quantity that's not super effective and we don't really address quality. So again, it's a sort of like, I don't know that it's the, the, the way that I would recommend. Um, although people certainly have success with it. Um, So I I would try to have people focus on other things. Uh, Again, I think it's kind of one of those things that's been thrown out there as a panacea. In terms of some of the stuff regarding health or longevity, I have doubts that if we just ate the right amount, Mm -hmm. that that intermittent fasting is going to outperform that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like we're eating too much. And so, yeah, I get where intermittent fasting can have a role. But it's just sort of like, well, what just happens if we eat the right amount of whole foods? You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I I think that's going to perform just as well, (laughs) if not better. (laughs) So that's where I would try to encourage people to go. Okay. I do like it. Sorry, I know this is longer than you wanted. (laughs) I I do like um, 
like I've done intermittent fasting and I'll do it some days just because it either happens or I like it from the standpoint of, you know, if you, if you're one of those people who thinks you need to eat every three hours, like the body's resilient, like we can go, (laughs) we can go overnight and skip breakfast and the body will be okay. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes it's good for that. Like, it's just bring some flexibility to the diet, um, all of that stuff. But I don't know that it's really going to outperform some other things for the goals that people want. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Um, well, that's all I had for the questions. Can you tell us a little bit though about Optimize Me Nutrition and what your company offers? Sure. Um, I Right now I have direct-to-consumer and business-to-business products. And so if people want to either do the 800-gram challenge or lazy macros at their gym, I have products for that. I also have kind of direct-to-consumer products for that. And then kind of my key product that I offer is my masterclass, which has an eight-week component where people kind of go through 800 gram challenge, lazy macros and macros together with me kind of leading you live. And so we'll be kicking off our next group. I'm just finishing up one now um, in January, of course. So people can get on the list to uh, register for that at optimizemenutrition.com. Okay. And I will link to that in the show notes. How does, how does the business to business option work? Yeah. So if gyms want to do an 800 gram challenge or a lazy macros challenge, um, I offer materials on two different platforms, um, SugarWatt and Wattify. And, and for gyms that aren't using either, I can work with you on, on which one is going to be best for you. But, but those are really necessary to help distribute some educational content as well as, as leaderboarding, which is important in the challenge. Um, but yeah, they essentially get promotional materials for me to kind of help sell the challenge to their members. And then during the challenge, they have educational content for their members. Because sometimes I think that challenges kick off and then mm-hmm. the members are sort of left without you know any direction once the challenge kicks off. I don't want to say any direction, but... So that's what I've tried to help out with these challenges is give some information that answers all the questions people have, you know, is this too much fruit? And what about the carbs? And what are the Mm -hmm. best fruits and veggies? And how much protein is too much protein, all of that stuff. Um, So it's really to help alleviate the affiliate owner or the gym owner from having to recreate the wheel. You know, they've got their gym to run, they don't need to necessarily be creating a nutrition challenge. And so I, I can do, you know, 80, 80 plus percent of the work, and then they can run this fun community event for their members. Okay, good deal. Um, how else can people, uh, get in touch with you or, or, um, find content that you've already been featured in? Yeah. Um, optimize me nutrition is my handle on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I have a podcast called the consistency project and yeah, that's probably it. All right. Well, I will again, link to those in the show notes. Awesome. Are there any final, uh, words of advice or encouragement you wanted to leave folks with? Hmm. Yeah. uh, Don't overthink it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't overthink it. Nutrition and practice is actually very simple. You just need to be consistent. Amazing. Well, good stuff. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and and sharing your knowledge. You know, I, I appreciate it and I'm sure it'll help numerous people. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Thanks, Cece. 